welcome to the Mile 99 interview series with your hosts, Greg Larkin, Mike Turner, and Jessica Harris. Enjoy this episode, and we'll hope to see you on the trails soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Mile 99 interview. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Harris. The Mile 99 is a place to hang out with like-minded folks in our trail community, share our stories, successes, failures, and deepest trail secrets. We'll now enroad trail secrets, too. This is a place to get our latest in local race news and updates, find out what's new in our community. We record in front of a live studio audience, one take, no breaks, and unlike the trails and the road, what is said here is on the record. I am joined by my co-hosts, Mike Turner and Greg Larkin. How you doing, Greg? Doing all right. Got my uh, new office, trying to get it unpacked finally. Um, so hopefully I'll uh, turn it into a little mini podcast studio here at some point. But uh, yeah, so far so good. Happy to see a little less smoke in the air these days. So that's always a good thing. How are you doing, Mike? Doing good. I am. In the last couple of days, I, I'm so addicted to that purple hair website i checked it and it was like it said 28 i'm like where so i had to just run outside and just breathe heavy <laughs> this was so nice uh so refreshing to get a break well, obviously it's really bad in a lot of areas so just take your wins where you can i guess tonight is a little different i'm taking care of the interactive portion of the show we are live on obviously live on zoom is a chat window there you can put your comments and questions in there also, Facebook, we are live there as well. You can put comments there. When you go, when you have the urge to message Jessica directly, send it to me instead. She's not taking questions because she'll be speaking most tonight. That's exciting. Also, we have our Patreon set up, which we're excited about. We're trying to get enough money in there to get some shirts made. So we're kind of collecting dollars. So hopefully we'll have that another month or so. We can get some swag made. But if you the earth we would enjoy to see you on there donate a dollar help us get some stuff and we want to thank our newest patreon donor which is sherry so thank you so much sherry we're very excited to introduce uh the guest this week she's an active member of the roseville rockland sacramento and auburn running communities she um can almost always be seen racing in pink gear and rad sunglasses she has raced everything from a mile to 50 miles road and trail Let's get right into episode 46. Welcome to the Mile 99 interview, Melissa Penwell. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Well, we're really glad to have you tonight. Uh, and uh, so as we often like to do at the beginning of our shows is just sort of get to know our, our guests, um, kind of like their, where they started out from, you know, where they grew up, maybe where you were born, that sort of thing. Um, we did see that uh, you did grow up in Eugene, Oregon. Were you born up there? I did. Uh, I was actually born on the East Coast. Uh, I was born in Connecticut. Um, oh, yeah. New England. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I lived most of my life in in Oregon. Yeah. So what uh, what took your family out there? To Oregon. My dad went to the University of Oregon and met my mom there. So they moved. I think I was about three or four. So I went to all of my elementary, middle school, high school, and then I went to college at Oregon State. Okay, nice. So was um, any of that, you know, I, I, I've heard of Eugene as kind of, you know, in the running world, obviously, it's, it's a very well-known place, kind of running capital of the world. There's a lot of people that have come out of there. Um, was that something that took your dad there? Or like, or did he just choose that as, you know, his preferred uh, university? 
Uh, no, he definitely didn't go for running with studying architecture. And they had a good program there. Oh yeah. All right. Um, and so, yeah, once, once you, you grew up there, you know, in childhood and I saw that you were kind of like getting into running in like middle school and that sort of thing. Was that because of the influence of, of all the running programs out there? Is that something your parents kind of saw and sort of introduced you to, or how did you kind of come to that? I honestly don't remember what made me start track. I mean, I always did sports. I did softball and basketball. I did ice skating. I started running hurdles in middle school. I did them for seven years because I'm tall, probably <laughs> <laughs> like you run hurdles. Um, yeah. I don't remember why, what drew me to running or why I went with that over the other sports. Yeah. Probably just- something to do with the running culture in Eugene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you talk about that? Just, um, I'm just interested. I mean, you know, there's these, obviously Nike was founded there. Um, I heard about Tracktown USA, like what is the culture there? Like, I mean, is it just so focused on running or what's, what's kind of the Eugene's sort of story, I guess. You know, I'm not super into the Eugene running story because I quit running in college. I was actually on the crew team and switch sports. And so I didn't really follow running or know much about it until I went back much later uh, when I ran the Eugene Marathon as an adult. I think I ran it in 2015. So it really wasn't in the time that I lived there something that I was even aware of, really. Yeah. So they're not like pushing it down to the middle school level. <laughs> no, like I don't think I, I even know, knew who Prefontaine was right. in high school. Yeah. Well, that was, that was one thing I was kind of wondering though, was, um, you know, with the pretty serious programs there and everything, I mean, do they actually go down to like, not, I mean, I'm not joking, like middle and high school or, and that sort of thing. And sort of, I would imagine at the high school level, they're already starting to scout people out and and that. I, so I went to Oregon state and they, at that time didn't even have a track. Um, so they didn't have a track team and they were scouting um, rowers. So they were looking for tall people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I know from some previous episodes, uh, and some people may know this, I'm a big fan of the rowing machine. I've never rowed on water though. Um, <laughs> but I do find it really a great, uh, cross training piece of equipment for sure. So, um, you know, you, you were running throughout middle school, high school, and that sort of thing. Um, was it just that crew was more attractive or was that, you know, or is it just something you wanted to stick with as a single sport and sort of leave running uh, behind a little bit? Or how did you kind of get into that? Well, having run the hurdles for seven years um, and then I chose to go to Oregon State um, to get out of Eugene to still pay in-state tuition, but, you know, get a different experience than my hometown running track, there wasn't an option. As I said, they did not have a track team at that time. Mm. Um, I had done sports my whole life. So when somebody came up to me and said, you're tall, come try out for crew. I thought I would give it a chance is a great opportunity because it's one of the, I mean, I'd say probably the only division one sport that you can walk on the team. They teach you how to do it and then give you a scholarship and it paid paid for my education. Mm. That's amazing. Now, from what I know of crew, uh, of a friend of mine who rode back at the East Coast, the only trade-off is you have to get up pretty early in the morning, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And so what are those, I mean, just comparing the sports, like, I mean, it looks to me like, and again, I've only had experience indoor rowing, so I don't know what the workouts are like, but it looks grueling. I mean, it just, can you describe kind of like the program and, and what you're going through as running part of it as well? Um, no, we did not run at all. Um, we spent a lot of time on the rowing machines. The day I graduated, I said, I am never getting on the erg again. So it's always funny to me when people say, I love the rowing machine because I still have bad memories, but yeah, we had to get up super early. You know, it was a division one sport. So we were doing 10 practices a week, you know, weightlifting, Um, that first year when I was learning how to row, I had all of the skin completely ripped off my hands. It was broken blisters on broken blisters. Uh, it was very painful and, you know, the weather's not great in Oregon. So you're out on the water, it's cold, it's raining almost every day during the winter. So I definitely, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about moving to California. (laughs) Well, it's probably um, something that has built some mental toughness, it sounds like. So that's a good thing. Um, what were some of the different boats? Did you have a preferred boat size that you were in? Um, at the college level, we didn't do any singles. So it was either a four-person boat or an eight-person boat. But that is the main event is the eight-person boat. Mm. So, And can you just sort of describe, I mean, I've seen it on the Olympics. I find it really yeah. fascinating. I mean, just the synchronization um, just the power of the, the eight, the eight boat just looks amazing. And what does that feel like when you're out there training and racing? Yeah, it's such a hard sport because it really uses your entire body. I mean, you're using your back and your arms and your legs and your abs. Um, but at the same time, on top of the physical, there's, it's really technical. Like you have to get your blade in the water at the exact same time as the other seven people in the boat are. Um, and it's very, I mean, you have to learn that technique along with going all out, pushing yourself as fast as you can. Mm, Yeah. And can you describe what it means to catch a crab? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) What nobody wants to get caught doing. Uh, It's when your oar gets sucked into the water and it pulls the oar flat against the boat and pretty much brings the boat to an abrupt stop and you have to get your oar back out and start from a dead stop in the middle of a race. So you do not want to be the one to have a dead stop in the race. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of, um, yeah, I mean, running is one thing, like you go out and people pretty much naturally know how to run, but these sports where it's a combination of incredible physical skill or uh, endurance or, or whatever, plus the technical aspect of it, I can't imagine like just mentally, like, how do you prepare for that kind of thing? And, and, and what's that pressure like when you're on a team too, because a lot of us maybe don't really participate in team sports at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a different dynamic because you, I mean, if you drop out of a race, yeah, it's unfortunate, but you're not affecting anybody else really. Um, when you're on a team sport where you're literally strapped into a boat and you, have to go. Um, it's there's more pressure because I mean, you can't let your team down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what position did you have in the boat? They kind of rotated us around. Typically, shorter people are in the back of the boat. And so I think I, I mean, I feel really tall for being a distance runner, but as a rower, I am actually pretty short. 
Mm-hmm. They have um, the Pac-12 conference at Lake, Det- N- Lake Natoma. Uh, if you've seen it there, when I go to spectate, I'm trying to look over people's heads and like jump up because <laughs> <laughs> the only place I feel short is in the crew world. But I think typically I was seven seat, which means um, two people back from the coxswain, the person mm-hmm. sitting at the front of the boat. Wow. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I went down to, um, yeah, Lake Natoma for an indoor rowing competition, like, I don't know, a couple of years ago now, I think. And um, I guess they do have programs there for adults and, and kids and whatever. I mean, have you like thought about doing anything beyond like coaching or anything like that? Or would you ever get back in the boat? Yeah, I have thought about it. I've done um, some alumni stuff when I've gone back up to Oregon State. Um, but I mean, it just requires more coordination. Um, I mean, you have to get the boat out and you have to get other people. Um, so I don't know. It's just not been something that I've been super motivated to do. And I heard you say indoor rowing competition. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel that's kind of like the equivalent of saying like, we're having like a 50K on the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was pretty brutal. I mean, it's just, it's one thing to be at home and you're kind of just doing a cross training workout, but then getting into that set of other people there and you've got machines lined up against each other and you can see each other on the screen and uh, yeah. yeah, like it's, it's <laughs> pretty intense. Um, but you know, the next one that comes around, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I did just dust off the earth the other day and did a, a couple thousand meters and uh, we'll see how things go over the next few months. Yeah. It's definitely been good, but I can understand. Like I would sit, I would think, yeah, like after that much on the water, indoor training and all that, it's, it's gotta be giving you a little bit of <laughs> fatigue there. Now, did you say like, did they, um, I think you said they didn't incorporate running too much in that um, training plan or did they? No, we hardly ever ran. I remember we had one day where they said, you can cross train for an hour and a half, whatever you want to do. And I thought, I'm going to go run. And so after not running, I went and ran for an hour and a half and I could not walk the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we, we didn't really run at all. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, coming from new England and that whole thing, did you ever have any kind of snow sports or anything that, uh, that you like to do? Uh, yeah, I grew up snowboarding and skiing. Uh, my parent, my grandparents had a, uh, condo in Breckenridge, Colorado. So we used to always go there for Christmases. Um, but I don't, I don't really like being cold. So <laughs> I, gave that up. I don't like being cold or in the rain. <laughs> I mean, I keep find, trying to find people that want to go cross country skiing with me here. So <laughs> one of these days somebody uh, but i get it like yeah it's tough not getting uh too cold in the winter you sort of get used to it you know you don't really want to go up and be like going into teens and 20 degree weather too much um cool well that's uh that's great um i mean i it sounds like you know you've had a super well-rounded background then um and and i think as we get further into the interview i mean obviously talking about your different um you know running exploits and all of that but um, would you say that, you know, all these different things that you've done, then these different sports, you're really active as a kid, you're getting into things in middle school, high school, college, and all that, like, how does that, has that translated like into some mental toughness? Do you feel like? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I feel like crew was kind of this funny little chunk of my life where I, for four years, that's all I did and thought about. And then after I graduated, you know, I 
basically it's not part of my life at all, but things that it did teach me in that sport are transferable to the sport I practice today. Um, you know, distance running that getting up early, that mental toughness, that sticking to to something when it gets hard, Mm -hmm. um, teamwork, the showing up every single day. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's really, um, I admire that, you know, I mean, I, like I said, I just, I'm fascinated by that, by that sport. I love watching it on, on the Olympics or anywhere else. Did I actually went to the head of the Charles a couple of times when I lived back in New England. Did you ever get there? No, but that uh, looks like an awesome event to watch. Yeah. And I mean, the thing with that course too, on the Charles river, it's not straight. Like you're going through corners and under bridges and all. Yeah. It's, it's just really, really fascinating. Excellent. Well, and so to just kind of wrap up this section, like what did you eventually get your degree in uh, at college? Um, I studied ethnic studies and Spanish. Then now after college, you're done with crew. You're like, I'm out of here. You're going to do the peace, peace corps. Right. So yeah. What led you there, your degree? Um, well, I studied that, I chose that major because I just chose something that was interesting to me with the intention that I would figure out what I wanted to do and get my master's in that. Um, by the time I graduated, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I decided to do the Peace Corps since it was really the best time when I didn't have you know, a job, any obligations or anything. Um, and because I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And for anyone who doesn't know, what is that? What, what program is this? Is it something that you get paid to do? Is it for free? Is it volunteering? Do you travel? Walk us through it. Yeah, it's a two-year volunteer program. Um, actually, it's three months of training plus two years of volunteer service. It does not cost you anything. Uh, you get a living stipend basically to live in a third world country. So you're not making any money doing it. You're getting enough money to live and pay rent. And then any travel or anything beyond that, you would need to have your, your own money to do, but you're there for two, um, two years. There's health programs, there's education programs. Um, you don't get to choose where you, well, back when I did it, you didn't get to choose where you went. Um, I think you have a little bit more choice now so that they have better keeping people there because when you don't get any choice at all, um, I think it's harder to retain people as volunteers because that is a big commitment. Yeah. Two years out of your life. (laughs) And so where did you go and what did you do? So I said that I would go to Latin America because I wanted to use my Spanish and that I would do anything. I got put in a um, youth development program. So teaching life skills in middle school, anything from communication and self-esteem to like sex ed, um, HIV and AIDS awareness in middle schools there. And did you grow with a group of people you already knew or did you kind of get paired up with people that you didn't know and now you obviously probably know them? Yeah, no, it's people from all over the U.S. that are applying. So I didn't know anybody. We met, they have a two-day staging in Atlanta where we met and then we went out and then you go into like small pods and go live with a host family for three months before you get your assignment. So you can learn the language and the culture and what you're going to be doing for your volunteer assignment. Did you travel within that two years or were you kind of like stationed in one area for that whole time? So you're stationed just to one site uh, for the two years. So I did some traveling like as a tourist, but I just lived and worked in one site. 
that seems like, like after I did collegiate sports, I was really tired of using my body like that. And so I took a break. Mine led me to have a lot of babies. (laughs) Um, But I understand like having a four-year commitment where your body is kind of working for you, it's paying for your schooling. And then you get to take this break and do something really, you know, for yourself or for whatever, just take a step back and not focus so much on what your body can do is kind of a nice reset. So after the two years, you just came back to Oregon. Where'd you go? After the two years, I came to California. My mom had moved to Forest Hill while I was gone. So I was like, I like the sunshine. You have all my stuff anyway. So (laughs) I'm coming to California. And was that, what year was that? 2000? It was the very end of 2012, December, 2012. So you got home, well, new home, Forest Hill home. And you started looking for a job? Yeah, I came and I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have um, a California driver's license or a job or a bed or anything. So I went to my mom's house and yeah, started looking for starting my life after college. And then you got into running at some point. Was that to build a community? Initially, it was because I was super out of shape. Um, I basically didn't work out while I was in Guatemala just because it was hard to do. I mean, it was hard to run. I ran a little bit, but I mean, people just stared at me, pointed at me. And then also for safety reasons, I couldn't be just running out by myself in the middle of nowhere. So when I came back, I felt like, okay, I had a nice break from running. I had gained weight, you know, felt quite out of shape. I did not have a car. So I was up in Forest Hill with no car. So the easiest thing to do is you can just put on your shoes and get out the door. Well, I mean, kind of a little bit, but like everything in Forest Hill is kind of (laughs) far away. Um, For anyone who's not familiar, it is its name. It's a town in the forest. (laughs) So um, after you got back, started kind of figuring out your new place in California, how did you go from volunteering into the job you have now? What job did you get? I initially got a job with a private company in Auburn that did misdemeanor diversion programs. So I kind of got my foot in the door at the district attorney's office. And after a couple of years when they had an opening there, I applied and got my job there. Nice. So you started from scratch from running. You finally, you're getting your foot in the door. You're starting your career. You're making some moves. What, what got you back into kind of racing? Initially, you did ask if it was for community. And that was also a big reason. I did not know anybody besides my mom when I moved here. So I did want to meet other people my age that liked doing or had similar interests to me. So I was looking on um, meetup and going, trying to find group runs where I could meet people. And so I started just running for fun. And then as I started getting more into shape, I started doing some local races and I thought I would run a half marathon as a big bucket list item to run really far. What was that? What race was that? That was the 2013 uh, Folsom Blues. 
Oh, that's such a fun race. And I feel like we, as runners, we go, oh, we're going to meet up just to have some community. And then you get talking and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, you're signed up for that race. Maybe I can do that. I mean, everyone's already training for it. Was that kind of the same thing? You're like, my friends are doing it. I'm going to do it too. <laughs> I don't remember why I picked that one. I mm-hmm. honestly think I signed up for it and then kind of met people along the process for having signed up. But after that, definitely, I signed up for a lot of things because other people told me that they were doing it. How did you train for that half marathon? Were you following, like, did you Google any training plans? Were you just following your friends, a coach, maybe? No, I just, yeah, Google Hal Higdon half marathon plan. There you go. I feel like a lot of people in our area and probably everywhere, that's the half marathon and marathon. That's the guy to go to. And so you finish that half marathon and then you go, okay, awesome. I ran really far. I'm going to run some more. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say like right after that, yeah. <laughs> I uh, finished that half marathon and I went home and laid down on my carpet in my living room and fell asleep because I was so exhausted because it was the farthest I had ever run in my life. And <laughs> it was, I think it, it takes you a minute to forget the pain after a race to want to sign up for another one. 100%. But then you did. But then I did. Yeah. <laughs> but then you did. And what was your first marathon? Yeah. So I did that. Um, it really was a bucket list. I thought I can run a half marathon. So then I did that. The pain, you know, the soreness faded away. And I thought, okay, I think I might do another one. So I signed up for a second one. Um, and I remember finishing that and it was not as bad as the first one. So I thought, you did a second um, half marathon? I did a second half marathon, yeah. Got it. Was it faster? It was it was a little bit faster. Nice. Okay. I'm getting better at the running thing. I think maybe I can run a full, but you know, just one as a bucket list to check it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I ran the 2014 uh CIM. How did so, that feel? Um, it felt really tiring training for that. I mean, it's cool when you sign sign up for a distance that you've never run and it is your first long distance because every long run is your longest run you know it's like you run 14 miles the next week you run 15 you run 16 every every week it's like new territory did you have training partners the whole time uh I trained for that one pretty much by myself I think I moved on to Hal Higdon Marathon plan. And I know that you are an SRA elite. Um, where does that fit in? Was that before your first marathon? Was that after? No, it was after, I think a couple marathons and a lot of half marathons. Um, I joined through mutual friends said I should apply. I was really intimidated when I joined because I felt like everybody had ran in college, knew about running. Um, I felt like I wasn't fast enough to be on the team. Um, But over the years, I kind of, you know, kept getting faster and grew into it. So you have to apply to be on that team. Is there like certain time requirements to be an SRA elite or how do they structure their team? Yeah, to um, apply for the team, you do have to meet the women's open standards, which I think for a half marathon is um, an hour 30. 
And then once you apply, they review the application uh, depending on how many people are on the team. Um, and then I think I had not quite broken it. I had run 130.27. And so I was like, I'm not fast enough. I haven't even broke 130 yet. And then they said, oh, we'll let her in. She's so cute. She always dresses really <laughs> nice. We'll just let her in. She, I guess she's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after you did CIM 2014, and then did you feel like that wasn't enough? So you wanted to like do better? Did you bonk on that or something? Why did you sign up for another marathon after CIM? Um, I honestly just really enjoyed the training. Um, although I did a lot of it on my own, I met people. I mean, kind of the whole community around here, there's so many people that run CIM and people are talking about it and training. Um, and it was fun for me to have this community of people who were doing it. I think I, I met a lot more people kind of towards the end of my training, um, who gave me a lot of advice and I started running with different groups and I thought, kind of got addicted to the training and the social part of it. 100%. Did you run CIM again? Was that your second marathon or what did you do right after your first CIM for another marathon? Um, I ended up running CIM five years in a row, but nice. uh, between my first and second CIM, I ran the Eugene marathon. How was that? I know nothing about that race. Is it big? Um, it's, a lot smaller than CIM, but I mean, it's a decent size. It's fun because it finishes on Hayward field. So you kind of do a, a half lap on the track. Um, uh, yeah. Cross the line, hands up. That's nice. Um, how's the weather for that, that kind of event? Is it kind of at Oregon? Is it cold <laughs> raining? Is it summer? I don't know. Nope. <laughs> I think they've fluctuated when they've held the race. They've had it in June some years. I ran it in April, I believe. And it was actually a really nice day when I ran it. But I imagine it's rainy. Because CIM, you honestly never know what you're going to get. CIM, you could get a perfect day, like 50, 60 degrees. I ran it one year in like a trash bag because it was a monsoon. Um, <laughs> you just never. If I show up to CIM, it's going to rain. So if you see me signed up. It's going to be raining. Uh, <laughs> I signed up this year. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I, you know what? I am a firm, like I did it. I did four CIMs. I'm done. Okay. I, you know, it just hurts so bad, Melissa. <laughs> the road hurts me so bad. So maybe, maybe if I get, when my kids are older, maybe, maybe, maybe. But if you run five, you get your five year pin and you get like a little bug. Do you have to run five in a row? No, five total. Oh, okay. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> All right. Maybe. So after another CIM, so that takes us to 2015, you, were you on SRA elite then after your second That's CIM? That's a good question. As more years pass, it kind of all blurs together, all the races. And <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's not like you don't race often. You have quite, mm -hmm. quite a list of races. And you, whenever you travel, you seem to pick up a race in another state. So that's kind of fun. It's like you plan it. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're getting faster on the road. Was Boston, running the Boston Marathon, a goal? So, I mean, initially I was only going to run that one marathon, right? 
So I ended up qualifying for Boston um, at my first AIM. So I thought, I mean, if you qualify for Boston, you have to go, right? 100%. So I signed up for Boston. So I think it was like the following year, you know, because you qualify in December, sign up in September and go the following year. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it wasn't like a goal, but it just, when you qualify, you gotta go. You gotta go. How many times have you run Boston? I've done it twice in 2016 and 2018. Do you plan to go back? Um, well, last year, uh, after trials, I had big plans to do Boston to Big Sur. Um, and but- for anyone who's not listening, I believe that's you run the Boston Marathon. And then how many, How? and then you run Big Sur Marathon. And how far apart are they? Usually two weeks, but every couple of years, they're a week apart. So for 2020, it was going to be a week apart. And then what do you get for that? <laughs> uh, you get a jacket nice. and obviously a medal for both of the races. <laughs> Is there any um, time goal that you have to meet for any of them to get a jacket? <laughs> just wondering for us slower people. <laughs> no, you just have to finish them. Nice. So you could run Boston faster and then kind of hang out for Big Sur. That yeah. sounds like a good plan. It, I, both are pretty tough marathons, I believe. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after Boston, we're going to get into the Olympic trials. I think everyone's pretty interested in that. The whole process, how you qualify, what's that look like? Um, so walk us through that because the Olympic trials you did 2019 for the marathon where were they qualifying times give us the lowdown sure so um when I ran Boston in 2018 it was the year of the monsoon storm um so I ran well for the conditions but I was kind of bummed because I didn't I didn't run as fast as I was in shape for so it was a PR. I ran a 255, but I knew I had more in me. Just the question was how much more. So I came back, started training for CIM. 2018 was when I qualified. It was not really ever in my sights to qualify for trials. I mean, to me, that was a big jump. That would be a 10 minute PR. Um, I had a lot of people say that I could do it and that they believed in me, but Personally, I was like, that's a big goal. I don't know. That's really fast, a lot faster than I've ever trained or ran. So I went into that training cycle with the intention of just doing the best that I could, um, improving on that training cycle for Boston, and then going out to run the best race I could. So even on race day, when I went into the race, I wasn't going out to qualify. I wanted to run sub 250. So I would have been thrilled if I ran like a 248, 249. Um, So I went out that day and I think ultimately deciding not to go for it was what led me to qualify because I was completely relaxed. I went out slow. It's the only marathon I have ever negative split, Um, you know, because it's hard to do to negative split when you're trying to do it. But I, I went out and I held back you know, just ran easy for the first half and then picked it up. And I 
did not even know I was on track to qualify because it was such a big negative split. I think I ran the second half two and a half minutes faster than the first half. Um, And it wasn't until probably mile 23 and a half when I looked up ahead and I thought, is that the 245 pacer ahead there? And I kind of did a double take and then I caught up and it was about mile 24 And I kind of had this moment of disbelief of, okay, if I can just stay right ahead and make it to the finish line. But I mean, for anybody that's run or not just run, but raced a marathon, uh, a lot can happen in the last two miles. So when I got to the finish line, you make that turn and then you see the clock. And I heard the announcer say, these women have 20 seconds to qualify. And I just went for an all out sprint. So I was like, I did not just run 26 miles to miss it by a couple of seconds in the last one tenth of a mile. That gave me chills. I might almost cry. That is crazy. I remember following you on race day, but I mean, it's an app. So I go, oh my gosh, she ran so fast. And it wasn't until you posted that I real because I don't, I don't know, like qualifying times or anything. Yeah, I didn't realize until you posted. I'm like, oh, that's amazing. So it's so cool to hear those last two miles. That gave me full body chills. That's so exciting. What you cross the line, you're in disbelief. You're like, and then what's next? How do you, what's the process? Do you just automatically get um, to go? Yeah. Well, first, I, I checked that I actually qualified um, because they go off of uh, gun time, not chip time. Mm-hmm. So uh, chip time, I qualified by 12 seconds and gun time, I made it by eight. So <laughs> I felt like I had to go check my official time first. And then I realized I had made it and I was just kind of in disbelief, super excited. So after that, Um, anybody who has met the standard can go sign up with USATF and register for the race, which I did. And when is the Olympic trials? How long did you have from CIM until that, that marathon? So they were held in February, 2020. So it was about a year and a couple months. Okay. So did you get a coach then? <laughs> Pretty like, okay, this is serious. I got to buckle down. Or did, I mean, what's that look like? That's a long time to wait for a race too. Yeah. So, um, I have really struggled over the years, keeping my iron levels and ferritin levels up. Um, so after, after CIM, they kind of plummeted a little bit. Um, and I was working to get those back up. And then once fall came around, I did get a coach, um, but just online, um, who just gave me workouts so that I didn't have to worry about what I was going to do because it's, I mean, training is stressful enough, but trying to figure out if you're doing the right training is hard. Uh, was this coach also like helping you with your iron or was that completely different? Like they weren't helping with that at all. They're just helping you get your training kind of scheduled down. Yeah. He just sent me weekly workouts. Um, it was very low communication, which I mean, I'm used to cause I have done my training plans off the internet or out of books. So. And when did the training block start? 
because you don't train the full year, do you? Or do you? I don't know. What do you do? <laughs> I feel like I'm always training. Yeah. But um, I think I started with his workouts in uh, the July before. Wow. So. Did you have a couple races in there? I, what did I race? I feel like I probably did. <laughs> probably. Some long runs. Did yeah. were any of your friends did any of your friends qualify for the trials as well? Um, so yeah, I had a couple teammates who also qualified, and then you know, some friends from Instagram. Um, but there were a couple other SRA women who qualified. Did you think that this training block did you train harder for it than anything before? I think I trained hardest for qualifying because really, yeah, I mean, for somebody who is not going to the trials to compete for a spot at the Olympics, like that is our Olympics, just making it there. Um, so qualifying was the big event going to trials was like the victory lap kind of. And where was it in Atlanta, Georgia? How was the weather for that? You said it was in February. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was the weather there? Um, it's kind of unique because they televise it. So the race was at like noon. So that was oh, very different waking up, eating breakfast and then figuring out, okay, when do I eat again? Um, and just kind of being awake for so long waiting. So you've got Did the you- did you train for that? Like start your running halfway through the day just to get used to running? Cause you run in the morning often, right? Yeah, I do a lot of morning runs. I mean, yeah, I probably should have done some later runs to train my body, but who wants to wake up and wait until noon? I mean, that's pretty much your whole day. Yeah. It, like or running on your lunch break and going back all nasty. I mean, I've done it but it's not my favorite thing. (laughs) Um, So you fly there. How many days before did you get there? Um, I went out a couple days early. Um, I think just like like two days. Can you describe the vibe? Was it so exciting? Yeah, it was a little bit overwhelming. It was the biggest field in history. Um, so they had so many people qualify. Um, I mean, in past years they had, you know, 200 people and I think they had, they had over 400 women qualify at this trial, a really big field. And they had us all staying at the same hotel. Um, so the vibe was just electric. I mean, you have all of these athletes there to run the race. And for CIM, I mean, I backtrack a little bit because I remember watching your Instagram. You, when you're running that fast, you get to like put your nutrition and stuff like on tables at certain points, right? Like with your name on it so you can grab and go. Is that right? Yeah. So I was in the um, elite or sub elite field. So we got tables um, or bottle service, which was immensely helpful. And do you get that at trials? We did get that at trials. Yeah. But everyone's doing that. So how, how do they make that work? Like everyone gets different points where they get to pick stuff up. Do they let you know? I mean, how do they, how does that work? 
yeah, we all were very curious how the Atlanta Trap Club was going to pull that off for, <laughs> I mean, there were over 400 women and then there were 200 something men as well. So there were a ton of bottles, um, but they ended up putting tables. I think they had eight different tables that were labeled and then you had your position on the table of where it was. Uh, it's kind of advantageous being a slower fast runner because all of the faster fast runners have already picked up their bottle. So it's easier to spot my bright pink bottle. And how did you do at that marathon? Was it one that, of your faster ones? Um, it was my second fastest marathon, but it was, it was a rough one. I think it's definitely one of my hardest marathons running midday. You get the midday sun. It was very windy. It was in the middle of the city. So you get those wind tunnels through the skyscrapers. I felt like we were fighting the wind the whole time. How, what can you describe that course? Is it similar to any other marathon course that maybe some of us are familiar with? It was not like any marathon course that I have ever done. Um, I mean, the only marathon I've done in a big city is Boston and that's point to point. And this was a looped course. It was a different feeling having hundreds and hundreds of people start a race that all were going to run around a similar time. So it's not like you don't have the back of the pack. You don't have that huge spread from like two sub three hour marathoners, you know, to people who are running six, seven hours. <clears throat> you have a spread of, you know, low two to three hours. That's incredible. Were you pretty... I'm guessing pretty snug with people then. Yeah, it was elbow to elbow and we started off and somebody actually fell and we all came to a dead stop. And that was, must've been terrifying. I mean, for the person who fell, feel like you're about to get trampled. Yeah, that happened. I did steeplechase a few times in college and that ha happens often in that race. And it is, I never fell, but I've jumped over someone. Luckily you guys aren't wearing spikes in the marathon like that. Like we yeah. weren't people, but it can, yeah, it can get pretty, pretty dicey. Are you itching to go back to trials? What's your goal? Um, well, I think that they're definitely going to change the standard because so many people made it last time. So they have not announced that. Um, I assume that they will make it faster. So we'll have to see. <laughs> I definitely would like to do a really solid hard training block like I did when I qualified for trials when I did that training block I did not race any races I only followed the the training plan um was super dedicated to it and that's really been the only time that I've been so focused on one race and just had my sights on one end goal that's so awesome that gives me chills too that's so exciting after a big push like that, a big effort, a big goal, do you take any time off? Yeah, I'm not great about taking time off. I definitely, I wouldn't say I take time off of running, but I take time off of structured running. Um, so running, doing workouts when I feel like it, you know, running, waking up and being like, I don't know, I'll run between this mileage and this mileage, but not having it so regimented and strict of, I have to run exactly this pace, this many miles. Well, and you can kind of ease back into that community feel, um, mm -hmm. kind of relax, hang out with your friends and more to the community aspect is you do pacing 
for beast pacing. Can you, anyone who's not familiar with that, can you um, tell people what that's about? Yeah, so different races will have um, pacers. Beast does a lot of local races. Actually, they do them all over the country. Um, but they will ask somebody to pace usually every 10 minutes. So 130, 140, 150, two hours, etc. for the half marathon. So you're the person that holds up the sign and of the pace that you're running. And it is your job to cross that finish line within like 15 to 30 seconds of the time and run consistently. That is a, a little stressful. <laughs> but before, before we kind of wrap up this section, we didn't even talk about the trail running. You are a trail runner too. I, I mean, the Olympics are really cool. Boston's really cool. We haven't had a bunch of guests, so we really wanted to dive into that. But real quick before, um, we got to pick your brain a little bit. In 2015, you ran your first 50K at Rodeo Valley. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then second 50K was in 2016, some town trail runs in Portland. Mm-hmm. And then you did our super iconic, a way too cool 50K. Mm-hmm. That's super fun. And then, and then, and then just to, just to do everything, you did the American River 50 miler. Yes. That's insane. That was in 2017. So I'm trying to line up. That was before before you qualify that CIM 2018 that you qualified. So this was before you're kind of like two years of, or a year and a half of big pushing for road stuff. How was that 50 miler? So, so iconic. Uh, that was also a bucket list thing. I said, I think I can run 50 miles. I want to try it. Um, and after I did it, I really loved it. And I would like to do another one for sure. <laughs> We need you to come back. You know, we see you on the road, but you know, a little, a little more trail therapy for you. Congratulations on that. I think, did you get first or second or third at that 50 miler for the women? You got got second. Nice. Good job, man. Killing it. Come back to the trails. (laughs) Yeah. I miss them. That story with uh, your fence at CIM was just, I still have the chills. It's just kind of, you can feel the, the energy of just, you know, the, the crowd and CAM is so fun to be even a spectator. It's so much energy. It's so fun down there to watch those races and you get so excited. So I do have a one question in the chat room. David on Facebook was wondering, uh, do you think that the Chicago marathon or New York marathon are in your future? Um, I'm actually signed up for Chicago next month. So yes, we do. Of course, you know your your near future. <laughs> I do want to do New York as well. Um, I would like to do and then continue on to the other world majors. Yeah, those are that would be. A, and I wonder. I mean, it's different now because obviously COVID. Going back to those, it's a, it's never going to be the same. Those crowds. I mean, ten thousand. How many people are in the the, the Chicago marathon? Like twenty thousand or fifty thousand? I don't know about Chicago, but I mean, Boston, it's like 30, 35,000. Well, yeah. If you got to have your mask on. So, yeah. So you, we, on your questionnaire, you sent us, you had some uh, really great advice for runners. I want to just kind of read back what you told us, you know, uh, for some advice from the runners. You said that 
I think a lot of new runners are intimidated to run in groups because they think that they won't be able to keep up or they feel self-conscious. We have a lot of new runners in our area. And, and I think I, I remember feeling that way early on. You said your advice is just to find a find a supportive group. Experienced runners have a wealth of knowledge and that they can share and help you become a better runner. And the runners are very supportive of other runners and no one is going to judge you. It's also easier to train if you're in a group as well. So that's good advice. You have this race coming up next month. What else is in your future? Um, I am signed up for CIM again. Um, so that'll be number six. Um, but I do see trail in my future. I really miss it. I typically have alternated back and forth between road and trail. And then I feel like I had a stretch where I've just been running road. So I do miss, I do miss being out on the trails. It's probably good for your muscles to have a little bit of variety, huh? Yeah. Uh, interesting. So we are, again, near the end of the show, and we have a couple, we have a little game we like to play. It's Jessica's favorite game. It's a rapid-fire game, but I am lucky that I get to ask the rapid-fire questions tonight. So uh, real quick, four questions. Are you ready, Melissa? Okay, I think Very so. Easy. The first one is road or trail? Oh. I'm supposed to answer rapid. That's hard. <laughs> I guess I would have to say road. Ah, nice, nice. And your favorite post-race food? Ooh, probably Jamba Juice. Jamba Juice. That seems like the smartest choice I've ever heard. Most people hear tacos or burrito or, you know, or something random. Yours probably actually the only thing that's going to replenish your body, I'm sure. I mean, I'll go for stuff after that, but I am a very, very heavy sweater and I'm just thirsty when I finish running. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, your bucket list race. Bucket list race. That's a good question. I, I don't think I would say a specific race, but I think my next uh, bucket list is I would like to run 100K. But I mean, every race so far I've run has been a, a one-time bucket list. so. We'll see. Then I'll probably continue on from there. Do you think you would try to find a very runnable 100K or because you like to go fast or would you would you try something more hilly or what do you what do you think? What kind of 100K would you would you choose? Probably something more runnable. I mean, American River 50 miler was a good one for me because I felt like it was half road, half trail um, and pretty runnable. So it was a good way to get my feet wet with that distance. Yeah, plus it'll be done quicker. Yeah, you're done quicker. So, and this is our most controversial last question that always causes lots of grief. Uh, dogs or cats? Oh, cats, that's easy. Easy. We got a thumbs up from Greg and Jessica. <laughs> Jessica has dogs and cats, and Greg has four cats. And I have, I'm just a cat and dog uncle. I just watch temporarily animals. I don't have any of my own right now. So, Cool. Those are great answers. And thanks again for coming on. I still got the chills from that story. So exciting. Everybody, thanks again for joining tonight. Remember to review the podcast and on, also like us on Facebook and Instagram. That helps get our numbers up and yet let us let people know that you like us. We have some great shows coming up uh, in the next coming weeks. So thanks again, Melissa. And thank you, everybody, for joining tonight. And we will see you on the trails. Bye-bye, everybody.